Thanks, John. If you would open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25, we'll be studying verses 14 through 30 this morning. If uh, you want to use one of the Bibles we provided for you, that will be on page 830. So page 830 in the pew Bibles that we've provided for you. Um, we'll be looking at this question, how will you spend your life? Paul Graham is a spooky, smart computer programmer and a spooky, successful venture capitalist. He founded ViaWeb, which was the world's first web-based application, and he also invests and mentors startup companies like a few of these, maybe you've heard of a couple of these, uh, Looped, Reddit, Wufu, Scribed, and my personal favorite, Dropbox. Anyone heard of those companies, maybe? Yeah, maybe you use a few of those resources. Uh, so, so Paul Graham, he, he's a, a venture capitalist, he's a computer programmer, he's also an, he also writes essays. And I came across one recently entitled Cities and, Amb and Ambitions. And I want you to listen to this quote from that essay. He says this, Great cities attract ambitious people. You can sense it when you walk around one. In a hundred subtle ways, the city sends you a message. You could do more. You should try harder. And Boston is a city of ambitious people, is it not? I mean, surely you feel the weight of Graham's comment here. You should try harder. You could do so much more. We, we start to have thoughts. I can do more here. I can be more successful. I can gain more notoriety. But to do so, I need to work a little harder. I need to stay up a little later at night. I need to get up a little earlier. I need to spend my life working not just 60 or 70 hours a week. I mean, I need to put it in so that I can achieve my goals. And we're talking about ambition. That's really what we're talking about. We're referring to one's desire to achieve a particular goal. So I want to ask you this morning, do you hear the call of the city? You, sh you could do more. You should try harder. What are your ambitions? How would you define success? How will you spend your life? I think we could follow that set of questions up with another set of questions so that go something like this. How does God want you to spend your life? How does He define success? What are God's ambitions? See, we all spend our lives in a particular kind of way. We all chase after something. We all make strategic investments with our life. And if we're being honest, the, our problem is, is that oftentimes, much of the time, we don't make very good decisions with the resources that God has entrusted to us, and therefore we make poor investments with our lives. And so this morning, we want to kind of search out how can we, maybe we invest in good things, but those good things eclipse the best things that God has for us. And so I believe that Matthew 25 is going to help us evaluate our ambitions 
and teach us what it means to spend our lives well for the sake of the kingdom of God. And so if you would, we're just going to pick up and read the first couple of verses, verses 14 and 15 of chapter 25 of Matthew. So here we go. It says this, For it will be like a man. Let me pause. It is referring to the kingdom of God. If we read the context, we would know that Jesus is giving really a series of parables here, again, on the kingdom of God. All right, so what will the kingdom of God be like? It will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. Then he went away. See, Jesus compares the kingdom to a man who is going on a journey. And so let's just break down these first couple of verses here to understand, okay, what, what is the heart of this parable here? You have a man going on a journey. And we know from the context, this is the fourth consecutive parable where Jesus is preparing his disciples for his departure. And so what he's doing is he's saying, I'm about to check out of here. I'm about to die for your sins be raised again on the third day, and then I'm going to ascend to the Father, and my mission will have been accomplished, and now the only thing that's left for my mission is to put it in your hands and for you to carry out my mission by the power of the Spirit, which I'm going to send you. And so Jesus is about, he is the man who is going on a journey here. And these are last words. As one of my mentors taught me, last words are lasting words. Surely these are important words on the lips of Christ. He wants to teach his disciples how they should be prepared for his one-day return. How they should spend their life well. And so as we think about Jesus being this man who's gone on a journey, we know that, that Jesus has ascended now to the right hand of the Father. This is where Jesus is. So what do we know about the ascension of Christ. I mean, is Jesus just on a vacation? You know, is he just like in heaven, hanging out at the Father's right hand? No, Jesus is doing work. He is interceding for his people. He is sending his spirit to accomplish his work as he exercises authority over all things. And so Jesus is like a man who has gone on a journey. Now, who are the servants? Well, if we back up to chapter 24, we know that Jesus is speaking to his disciples here. The followers of Christ, or the would-be, the apparent followers of Christ. And you notice that verse 14 says that these are his servants, and he entrusted them his property. This reminds us that we belong to God, and everything that He entrusts to us ultimately belongs to Him. And so I would propose that verses 14 and 15 really should stun us. I mean, do you ever read your Bible in the morning and just kind of flow through it and, and, and not really let the weight of these truths kind of fall on your heart? We do this all the time, right? I mean, let's just pause and think about this. You have the God of the universe entrusting his mission, this responsibility to us. He gives each of us gifts and abilities that we're to maximize for his glory and the advancement of his kingdom. 
Now, what you have in the story, we see in verse 15 that the master gives three different servants talents. Okay? So he gives one servant who we can assume he is the visionary of the bunch. He has a high capacity. He is the kind of guy that just gets it done. And so he says, hey, I'm about to go on a journey. Here's five talents. Now, we don't know exactly how much a talent was because of the way that we don't know if it was silver or gold. It could have been weighed out in different measurements. But this is a large, large sum of money. A talent was a monetary value in the first century. And so all we know about this is this is a huge amount of money, perhaps a, 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 an amount that you would earn over the period of many lifetimes. This was a rich master. So he entrusted to the one servant who kind of has it all together, he entrusts five talents to him. There's another servant that he may not have as high of a capacity, but he still gets it done. He has high expectations for him, so he gives him two talents. And then there is the third servant who comes in with a shirt untucked, hair is not combed like in six days, and he comes in and he says, hey, um, you're going to get one talent. I'm going to still entrust you with one talent. You see, this teaches us that God gives different gifts to different servants. R.T. France notes that not everyone has the same opportunities and abilities to achieve results for the kingdom of God. He distributes his gifts, his abilities that he gives us, the opportunities that we have according to his good pleasure and his sovereign will. This is what Ephesians 4, 7 says when it says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And so think about this. You, if you are a follower of Christ, you have been given great resources from God. By which he is saying, hey, you go and you spend your life. You go and invest your life for my kingdom's sake. Now, the parable calls this investment from the master, talents. What is a talent? We think about the word talent and we think of great natural ability, right? A talented musician, an accomplished artist. Maybe you think about your favorite athlete. We think about talents in those terms, but talents here in this passage refer to responsibilities God entrusts to you in light of the gifts, abilities, and opportunities he gives you. So this includes, as the New Testament talks about spiritual gifts, but it's not restricted to our spiritual gifts. Talents include anything that God gives us to spread the knowledge of his kingdom. He expects us to use these talents and invest them for the building and the advancement of his kingdom. And so the first truth that we see this morning is that we need to recognize what God has entrusted to us. But then secondly, we see that in verses 16 through 18 that we need to be faithful and diligent to make wise investments with our lives. Let's read verses 16 through 18 uh, together. It says this, He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. 
so also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. You see, this parable is teaching us that God does not want his disciples to hoard the knowledge of the kingdom for themselves. He wants us to go out and to invest, to spread this knowledge of the kingdom for his glory. We have opportunity to spend our lives. This is what Paul said. I love 2 Corinthians 12, 15. This is a verse where Paul's just laying his heart out to bear about ministry. And he says this, I will gladly spend and be spent for the sake of your souls. And this verse should not just be restricted to those who are, you know, like the professional ministers, the vocational ministers or missionaries. We can take this verse and apply it no matter what type of work that you do. Can you identify with Paul's heart that you would gladly spend and be spent for the sake of other souls? This is what Paul said. And so what has God given you? I want to encourage you, don't worry about the measure that he's distributed to you. It may be five talents, it may be four, maybe two, maybe one. The encouragement is to be faithful and diligent to go and to do work. Jesus says in Luke 19, 13, engage in business until I come. We have business to engage in that Jesus has left in our hands. Now, I want us to think about this on two different levels, all right? Number one, there is the macro level of our lives. So this is the direction of our lives. This is how we're going to spend the majority of our lives. For some, perhaps, God is going to call you. And in fact, we already pray this way, by the way. We pray that God would send future members, members now from Redemption Hill, okay, so just look out, we're already praying for you, all right? We're praying that he sends some of you, maybe us, to go to the ends of the earth that we pray for, Europe, Asia, Africa, where people need the gospel. At the same time, God is probably not going to call 100% of us to go to the nations as career missionaries. So, Perhaps for some of you, it's putting your hand to the plow in the corporate world. It's putting your hand to the plow in academia. Maybe it's just down at the factory, punching the nine to five, doing your work, bringing a kingdom mindset, a kingdom ethic, a kingdom worldview to your workplace. Faithfully showing people what it means to work hard, to honor God with the way you work, with the way that you interact with your coworkers. That is the macro level of our lives the big picture. But what about the micro level? You see, we have thousands upon thousands of little tiny moments that we have to invest for God's kingdom. So tomorrow, in that conversation with your friend, will you invest wisely? Tomorrow, when you have the opportunity to respond to your spouse in a patient manner, your tone with your kids. Maybe arriving at work on time. Little moments that we have opportunity to listen to us. Push back the darkness in our world and shine the light of Christ by making missional investment after missional investment. And so no matter how much God has entrusted to us, 
We all have opportunity to invest well. We all have opportunity to, to multiply what he has given us. You see, at Redemption Channel, we strategically came up with these three core values. Gospel, community, mission. You may have heard me explain this before. The gospel is central. Everything flows out of the gospel. The gospel creates a new community that then sends out this new community beyond mission for God. And so everything, this is, a, this is a, a message that should be kind of bold in the word mission. The, mission. the word mission should be bolded today. But listen to this, it flows from the gospel. So has God given you the knowledge of his son? And go and spread that knowledge. Has God given you mercy? Then go give mercy. Has God given to you generously and freely? Then go be generous. Loosen your grip on your possessions and give to others. Has God canceled your sin, forgiven your sin? Then why would you hold someone's offense over their head and not extend that same forgiveness to them? Everything that we do, all of these opportunities for missional investment, they need to flow from the gospel, a response to what God has done for us in Christ. This is how we'll spread the fame of Christ and advance his kingdom in our midst. So I want us to think about what does it look like to invest faithfully with these, we can call them missional investments. What does this look like? Well, number one, we need to be consistent. This investment we see from the parable was made over a long period of time. A man went on a journey. And actually, verse 19 tells us that after a long time, the master comes back. So this has to be consistent over the long period of time. Faithfulness is not proved overnight. It's consistent. Day by day. You wouldn't tell your boss that just hired you, hey, I plan on being to work 65 to 80% of the time. You can count on me. Right? It's not going to go over so well, right? This was a long-term investment. The servant with five talents did not go and invest 90% of the assets into penny stocks. For those of you who invest out there. All right? I mean, this was, this was a long period of time investing faithfully. This is how the process of sanctification works. And this is what our missional investment should look like. Day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year. Spending our lives well, making strategic investments for God. So first, consistent. Second, diligent. We need to be diligent. The servant with five talents and the servant with two talents, it says, went at once and traded with them. Do you ever struggle with procrastination? I think my wife just made eye contact with me, maybe. So I've been, that's really like God's sanctifying me in this area, and, and I'm, I'm working on it, okay? But, but some of you are planners, I mean, you have like things done weeks in advance, and then there are others of us who just like to procrastinate, wait till the last minute, you know, to get everything done, kind of start to get somewhat stressed out, maybe highly stressed, you know, just about to make the due, the, the, the due date uh, deadline, and we just wait till the last minute. We procrastinate. Don't procrastinate with what God has entrusted to you. Don't wait to spend your life for the sake of the gospel. 
Invest now. Get busy. Do work now. Engage in business until Christ comes. So it's consistent, diligent work. I mean, are you willing to break a sweat for the kingdom of God? We need to put our hard hats on for Christ and get busy making these strategic investments. Now, let me say this. Don't hear me say that leisure and rest are not approved by God. I mean, God created on six days, in six days, on the seventh, he rested. So there, there is time for rest. There is time for leisure activity. But let me give you a tip. This is something that I try to apply in my own life. Spend your leisure activity for the sake of the gospel. It may be reading a magazine that you just picked up from the store and reading it with a Christian lens, a Christian worldview, being a discerning reader. That's spending your leisure time well. Maybe it's going to the Museum of Fine Arts and calling up two or three of your friends from the community group that you attend on Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday night, shameless plug, and saying, hey, why don't you come with me? Go with me to the museum. Let's spend some time together. That's a, that's a way to spend your life well, building relationships with other brothers and sisters in Christ. William Carey said this, only let us be faithful. Only let us be faithful. See, Jesus tells us that we must spend our lives with faithfulness to his will and his ways. What are some opportunities for missional investment? Well, just think about a few of these. Your friendships. There's some opportunity. Your family. Opportunity. Your job, opportunities. Your education, opportunity. Your money, your time, your Saturdays, opportunity to invest for the kingdom. Your singleness, your marriage, your parenting, your neighborhood, your coworkers, your hobbies, even your social networking can be spent for the sake of the kingdom of God. How do you use your time? How do you use the gifts that God has given you? How do you use these abilities that he's placed in your hands and says, go and be faithful to engage in work until I come again? See, I love what my man Lecrae says in this rap song called Don't Waste Your Life. Now, I'm not going to rap it for you because if I were to do that, you wouldn't be able to even catch up with my flows, all right? So... (laughs) I'm just going to kind of read through it, and the words are on the screen so you can hopefully follow along. All right? So this is, this is a song he calls, Don't Waste Your Life, which I think fits really well with this message today. He says this, suffer, yeah, do it for Christ. I'm slowing down here. You're trying to figure out what to do with your life. You make a lot of money, hope you're doing it right, because the money is God's, you better steward it right. And stay focused. You ain't got no job. Your life ain't wrapped up in what you drive. The clothes you wear, the job you work, the color of your skin. Nah, you're Christian first. People think they're living for a job. Make a little money, start living for a car. Get them a wife, house, kids, and a dog. Then they retire, they live in high on the hog. But guess what? They didn't ever really live it all. 
To live is Christ. And that's Paul, I recall. To die is gain. So for Christ we give it all. He's the treasure you never find in the mall. See, listen to this. Your money, your singleness, marriage, talents, your time, they were loaned to you to show the world that Christ is divine. That's why it's Christ in my rhymes. That's why it's Christ all the time. See, my whole world is built around them. He's the life in my lines. I refuse to waste my life. So perhaps you don't have any future albums coming out. You couldn't say that Christ is the life in your rhymes, but is Christ the life of your nine to five? Is Christ the, the life of the way that you use your intellect for his glory? This is a passage about stewardship and the kingdom of God. See, remember, Jesus is talking about what the kingdom is like. John quoted D.A. Carson last week. Such a good quote. We're going to bring it back up again this Sunday. Carson talks about what it means to seek the kingdom, and I think it's completely applicable to making missional kingdom investments. Listen to this. Carson says this, to seek first the kingdom is to desire above all to enter into, submit to, and participate in spreading the news of the saving reign of God. The messianic kingdom already inaugurated by Jesus. And so John broke this down for us last week, and I've only added just a couple of words to his paradigm here. So it's a great, great paradigm for us to think about. Number one, Carson says, how do you seek the kingdom? How do you spend your life for the kingdom? Well, number one, you enter into the kingdom through repentance and faith. And so if you have never entered into the kingdom of God, if you are not sure if you were to die this next week, this next month, this next year, if you would spend eternity with God in a place we called heaven and future new heavens and a new earth, if, if, if you are not sure of that, then you need to understand what Christ has done for you in the gospel. He did what you could never do. He lived a perfect life. He died a cruel death in your place for your sin. That through faith in him, through repenting, which means changing the direction of our life to now live for God, through repentance and faith, we can enter into the kingdom. We can know what it means to have life in Christ. Now, once we enter into the kingdom, then we must submit to the saving reign of God through radical obedience. I mean, there is never a time in your day, I'll just make this bold claim, there's never a time in your day when this doesn't apply. Submitting to the reign of God through radical obedience. From the moment you wake up, I mean, you know how it is. The alarm sounds, and there's just that opportunity to start to grumble, right? God, I don't want to get up this morning. I wish I could stay in bed for a couple more hours. And then from there, it just, you know, continues on, right? Man, there's such a long line at at Dunkin' Donuts. I can't get my turbo shot. You know, I'm going to be late for work. And it's just... There's always opportunity to submit to God's will for our lives. And then finally, spread the news of the saving reign of God through joyful boldness. There are people all around us, some of them very religious people, 
who, as we've talked about before, are maybe trusting in their own works, their own righteousness to earn their way to God. And then there are plenty of irreligious people who care nothing about God, want to pursue their own pleasures, and both of these groups of people need the gospel. I mean, how are people going to enter into the kingdom of God and learn to submit to the the will of God in his kingdom if we do not share this message with them? I mean, can you think about a family member who needs Christ? Can you think about a classmate, a coworker who needs Christ? This is the way to spread the kingdom through our lips and through our lives. The two have to go together. This is the way we invest faithfully and diligently in Christ's kingdom. Finally, in verses 19 through 30, we see this truth. Be prepared to face your maker and settle accounts. Here's the last encouragement for us this morning. Be prepared to face your maker, your master, and settle accounts. Follow along with me as I read verses 19 through 23. It says this. Now, after a long time, The master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. And his master said, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And so let's not miss the fact that everything in this parable is predicated on the fact that Jesus will one day return to this earth. This is a truth that we often kind of neglect or forget about, but this is central to the Christian faith. Jesus is coming back. He will judge us for the way that we live our lives. This is why in our statement of faith, you can check it online, we have statements on who Jesus is and the future judgment. On one of the last sentences or phrases of, of the section on Christ, Article 7, it says this, He will return again visibly and bodily. Under the judgment section, the very last article, 22, says this, God has appointed a day wherein He will judge the world by Jesus Christ. When everyone shall receive according to His deeds... The wicked shall go into everlasting and conscious punishment, and the righteous into everlasting life. So Jesus is going to return. He will settle accounts with us. We need to be prepared for that day. Now, let's look at just a few truths under this truth of encouragement of being prepared to face our Maker Number one, God sees and desires to reward our service. 
We saw in the parable that the one who made five talents more and the one who made two talents more, they each had capital gains of 100%, right? God will be the ultimate accountant. He will, as Romans 14, 12 says, give, it says that, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. But notice also that in this statement of commendation to the servants, Jesus says, good and faithful servants. We see that there is both a connection with the character of the servants as well as what they've produced with their life. This teaches us what was our meta-memo verse from a couple weeks ago. Now let me just pause. Meta-memo stands for meditate, memorize. It's something we do in our community groups where we try to really emphasize the truth that we're meditating on through the week. So our meta-memo verse from a couple weeks ago when we talked about true devotion to God was Luke 6.45. It says this, The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So there's a connection between the heart, the character, and what flows out of our life. The master says, good and faithful servant. And we learn a couple of other things about the servant's reward. Number one, we see that, now don't miss this, the one who received Uh, who had five talents and then made five talents more, as well as the one with two who made two talents more, they received the same commendation from the master. The same word of praise. Good and faithful servant. It again shows that God is not so much interested with how much we gain for him as how faithful we are with what he's entrusted to us. Number two, it teaches us that he rewards us with increased responsibility. So think about this. Again, this is, this is eschatological, which means the end times, when Christ returns and, and, and the, the end of this age is ushered in. He will judge us, and he says that he will reward us with increased responsibility. And so what will happen in the new heavens and new earth, which, by the way, that's Revelation 21 and 22. We will not spend all eternity, you know, hanging out on the clouds playing harps, all right? It's not just, I mean, it's, it's heaven when we die. We spend our, 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 that, that, that state where after we, we pass from this earth, we're with Christ in heaven. Heaven is a real place, but heaven is also going to be a place on earth. Revelations 21 and 22 talks about the new heavens and the new earth. So the question becomes, hey, what are we going to do? Are we just going to hang out and play golf all for all of eternity? I mean, is the new heavens and the new earth just about, you know, kicking back all the steak and lobster that we can eat? Or is our eternal joy about increasing in our knowledge of God and learning what it means to serve Him? Continued responsibility, continued service to God. We will spend all eternity continually pointing to the greatness of God with our lives. Now, whether or not we, you know, get to play a round of 18 at Augusta National with Jesus. I don't know how that all works out. It'll be great. It'll be beyond our wildest dreams. But Jesus says our reward is increased responsibility. Why is this so important? Well, we have to be prepared because we know that God will reward us according to how we spend our lives. Number two, 
God's judgment and joy should motivate our investments. You see, we should not only pursue faithfulness because we know judgment is coming, but we should also pursue faithfulness because we know that we will have the opportunity to enter into the master's joy. I mean, do you get excited to live your life for God? Do you delight to spend your life for the sake of the gospel? It's a privilege to be a part of God's kingdom. You see, as a pastor, it's not my job just to encourage you and motivate you to be here on Sunday mornings. I mean, if that's all that happens, then I am failing. John is failing as a pastor. See, God is after our joy. We should, we want to motivate one another. I need this too. We want to motivate one another to long to be here because we've tasted and seen that God is so good. We would delight to be here and worship. What about serving? Serving in maybe the children's ministry, for example. Transformation Station. Sign-ups after the service, okay? Um, do you just serve because no one else is going to show up? Or do you serve because when we serve, we are never more like Jesus? It's a joy to serve. It's a privilege to serve. And so God's judgment and His joy should motivate our investments. And then finally we see in the remaining verses that God will not allow the wicked to go unpunished. We see in verses 24 through 26 that the servant with one talent buried his talent in the ground and he says, look in verse 24, he says this to the master, Master, I knew you to be a hard man reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sowed and gather where I scatter no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest." So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has been given, who has, will be given, and he who, man, I can't read this afternoon. Sorry. Let me back up. Let me rewind. Verse 28. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given. And he who ha has an, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so let's just summarize what's happening here. The wicked and lazy servant entertained hard thoughts of the master. We are prone to do this with God. When the master replies and he says, you knew that I was a hard man, he's not affirming what he said. He's just using his argument to really prove the wicked and lazy servant's guilt. So we will be tempted to entertain hard thoughts of God. When life is just all out of whack, 
and we're struggling. Things don't seem like they're going the way that we had planned, and trials come. We're going to think, God, where are you? Are you good? Are you faithful? And that's exactly what Satan would have us do. You see, in the garden, in Genesis 3, this is exactly what Satan does with Adam and Eve. He gets them to question God's command. Did God really say? Did God actually say? And then he says a few verses later, well, you know, God doesn't want you to eat that because if you do, then you're going to have the same knowledge that God has. And so he gets Adam and Eve to question the goodness and the kindness and the faithfulness of God. Entertaining hard thoughts of God will keep us from investing our lives well. The wicked will not go unpunished. We see here that this was an apparent servant of the Master. I mean, this was an apparent, Jesus the parallel would be an apparent disciple of Christ. This passage teaches us that not everyone who thinks they are in or says they are in or says that they are followers of Christ are truly followers of Christ. Our church attendance, our grandmother's faith, a mere profession, even our own good works if they're not rooted in the gospel, if we haven't been changed and saved by the grace of God, we won't have eternal life. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 7, 21 and 23. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So when you get to the end of your life, you'll have an opportunity to evaluate how you spent your life. What will your response be? Will you say, I wasted it? Or will you say, man, I made the most of the journey. I sought to invest my life well for the kingdom of God. How will you spend your life? Will you waste your life? Or will you invest your life in the kingdom of God? There is a piercing little poem that I love and try to remind myself of somewhat regularly. It says this, we have only one life. It will soon be passed. Only what is done for Christ will last. We have only one life. It will soon be passed. Only what is done for Christ will last. Is your job for Christ? Are your friendships for Christ? Is your leisure reading for Christ? Is the time that you spend on the internet each evening, is it for Christ? Only what is done for Christ will last. Every day we have an opportunity to make missional kingdom investments for God. And you may be sitting here this morning, you may be saying, you know what, Tanner, if I had to answer that question right now, if my life was through, 
I would maybe have to say, I haven't spent my life very well. I haven't invested wisely in the kingdom of God. Maybe you have not even entered into the kingdom of God. If that's you, I want to urge you to see Christ for who He is, the Savior of all who believe and repent and believe in Him. Trust in His finished work on the cross for your sin that you might be reconciled to God. But perhaps for most of us here, We've entered the kingdom, but now the challenge for us is to submit to the reign of God through radical obedience and spread the kingdom of God through bold joy. If you are maybe a long way, maybe you say, Tanner, I feel like I'm a long ways from that. Well, here's good news. Our God is a God of the second chance. His mercies are new every single day. So if you have not been spending your life well for the kingdom, then the challenge for us is to do exactly what those who need to enter the kingdom, we need to repent and believe the gospel. We need to evaluate our life and say, hey, I'm not spending my abilities and gifts and opportunities very well in this area. I'm going to change my mind, ask God to change my heart, and I'm going to live differently for His sake. And so what is the power of Christian hope? It's this. Jesus provides an opportunity for us to joyfully spend our lives on what truly matters by investing in his kingdom. To put it succinctly, Jesus saves us from a wasted life. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for our time together this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to worship you. And Father, as we're confronted with these words from the lips of Jesus, we pray that they would fall on soft, humble hearts that would see our sin, recognize our poor investments, own that, and then beg you to change us so that we might be hearing from you one day, well done, good and faithful servant. Father, it's our prayer this morning that that would be the reality for all of those involved at Redemption Hill and all those who one day will be involved. Lord, would you bring change to our lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.